0: So that phase one ended up being a phase two, where they had to come on in and do all the studies. And then they had to figure out how to remediate a phase three, let's say the the cleanup. And I'm going to tell you, I spent about $400,000 cleaning up the mess on that property. Things that happened way before I was born.
1: Hello fellow risk takers and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm on a mission to help 1 million people reduce risk in their lives. And that mission has led me to create the Become a Better Investor community. In the community, you get access to our global asset allocation strategies and stock portfolios, and our institutional grade investment research, weekly live sessions, and the risk reduction lessons I've learned from more than 500 guests. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your 50% lifetime discount exclusive for podcast listeners. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guests, Matthew Frederick. Matthew, are you ready to join the mission? I am ready. Well, for the audience out there you may recognize Matthew he was episode 181 which was all the way back in the beginning of 2020 in fact think about that Matthew it was before covid hit it was January of 19 uh, of 2020 we were just Old cruising along <laughs> and all what it world. yeah and that's why when you <laughs> said that you you wanted to come back on and share I thought it would be a great idea. So let me just introduce you briefly to the listeners. Hold on one second. So Matthew Frederick specializes in finding and securing under contract, off market, multifamily and office buildings for conversion to their highest, best use. He did not plan to be an investor, but his police brother convinced him to under gunpoint. So he decided to try. With 34 years of experience in residential and commercial and new development, Matthew has seen much chaos in the industry and would like to guide others through the landmines. He loves the lifestyle that investing affords him, but is excited to help others reach their financial freedom. Take a minute and tell us a little bit more about the unique value that you bring to this world.
0: Well, as I, as I mentioned, you know, my background was more, I was in the military, computer systems was my thing. I was a teacher and my brother came to me, he was a police officer and said, I want you to invest because I'm a systems guy. And I thought, no, I'm already a teacher, invested all my time in this. He says, I'm your older brother, I got a gun, you better listen. And you know what? He pulled me into it and it's been amazing because, you know, I'm able to do the things I want to do today. Now I'm 57 years old, so I've been investing since I was, I mean, my first house was 19. But I wasn't really an investor until my brother pulled me into it at about 24, 25 years. So I've been investing for about 30 something years now. And you know, today people are looking at high interest like six percent, scary. You know what? I was born in six percent. It was <laughs> pretty much that way for most of my life. You know, properties appreciated five percent, not you know, 10, 15, 17. percent So it's been pretty interesting, you know, looking at all the people coming into the game and doing really great. And so now I want to make sure that they can hold the course, right? Because things are a little bit tougher. And I know that in my history, in the toughest times, I've always advanced more. So I'm looking to help people do that as well. Same as you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we were born in the same year, 1965, which basically means that we were kind of coming to awareness during the time when inflation was really starting to rise and let's say you know 1974 okay we were still pretty young not putting it all together but by 1979 the iran crisis and what was going on and you know interest rates were super high then alan greenspan came in and you know all those things and i i can remember lineups at gas stations you know when my parents Mm -hmm. were filling up and stuff like that. And it's interesting that many people that were born after us never experienced that. I mean, what an amazing like four decades of low inflation. Wow.
0: It's true. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So anyways, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And I think we're going to get two bites at the cherry to hear your newest story. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be. Tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it, and then tell us your story.
0: Well, you know, back um, on the first episode, I talked about my worst residential nightmare, buying five houses at a distance with the wrong partner. This happened uh, a number of years later, but it was my first bite at the apple for commercial property. So I'm talking about sort of like a strip plaza concept. And you know what? I just figured... Guess what? I'm really good at residential. I mean, I fought hard to learn residential, and I put a lot of years into it. And I just figured, you know, by 2004, 2005, I'm just going to go to commercial. And you know what? It's just a bigger apple. And I had that attitude about it that I was good at what I was doing. It's just a bigger apple. And I took a bite of that thing, and I realized, you know what? I'm not so smart. It's not that that exact same thing. And maybe I needed some help. And you know, I realized I was flying too close to the sun. My wings got burnt. And yeah, I hit the ground pretty hard. And I hit the ground pretty hard for many, many years. So even though I had success after that, it was the one property that even when I became an expert, I mean, years later, I built over 280 houses. I've built four-story, 50-unit condo buildings. That's hard. But even when I was doing that, that building still kicked my butt. From day one, as a commercial investor, all the way to the end, till I finally got rid of it, like that building beat me. It just kept coming back. And I've had a lot of reflection on it to understand what really happened. But in the end, I sold it, right? So I I couldn't win. Sometimes you have to give up, right?
1: So tell us about that building.
0: Well, you know what? It was, uh, I would drive by the building. It was vacant. It was abandoned. And I thought, you know what? think it's probably worth about $800,000. Of course, commercial real estate is valued based on the income coming in. And there was no income coming in, but I figured, you know what? It still had a value in that range. And I talked to the owners and I I convinced them to, instead of going for $800,000, what they were asking, I got down to about 680,000. So I thought, man, I'm good at this. And then on top of it all, I got a vendor take back mortgage, a VTB, where the seller was going to carry a mortgage, to hold a mortgage. And it was 680000 I put down 180000 They held a mortgage for half a million. So there was no bank involved at all. And I thought, man, I just convinced these guys to hold a mortgage for seven years at a good interest rate, no bank involved. I put down $180,000, and I get this building that's worth $800,000. And I thought, this is fantastic. And so I, you know what, pat myself on the back and started renovating it. Now, I had a number of restaurants by that time. In fact, I had Thai food restaurants. Now, I'm not Thai, but my business partner in the restaurant, she's not Thai either. But we started doing Thai food restaurants in a city that nobody knew what Thai food was. <laughs> Ultimately, it was doing very well. Sure. But I wanted this building as the head office of my real estate company. And also, I wanted to put a restaurant in there as well. And so I bought it. Now things are going great. 7 years later, the property went from 680 up to about 1.6 million. And I'm like, my goodness. Now I'm going to refinance it. I'm going to pull my money out, pay off the VTB of half a million, and I'm sitting on a lot of money. So that was called bur before it was called bur. You know what I mean? Buy, you know, renovate, you know, rent, refinance, right? We'll repeat. The problem was when I bought it, I didn't get a phase one environmental my lawyer asked me about it, and I said, well, I had to get a stormwater management assessment because I wanted the variance to allow a restaurant to be there. And I said, it's the same thing. But you know, he didn't fight me on it. And my attitude was, I know what I'm doing. Well, guess what? Seven years later, when we went to refinance the building to get a bank mortgage in, the bank required a phase one environmental and then a phase two environmental. Because it was discovered that 50 years before I was born, there were gas stations there, lots of pollution. So that phase one ended up being a phase two where they had to come on in and do all the studies. And then they had to figure out how to remediate a phase three, let's say the the cleanup. And I'm going to tell you, I spent about $400,000 cleaning up the mess on that property, things that happened way before I was born. And what I didn't do was a phase one environmental. And had I gone to a bank, they would have demanded that right away. And the sellers knew it. That's why they gave me the VTV. It wasn't my genius negotiation. They just said, here's a sucker. We're going to hold that mortgage for him because he's going to go to a bank and nobody in the world's going to get this. And literally I bought this property and now I want to tell you something right now, when it comes to remediation, I'm an expert because <laughs> everything that can go wrong went wrong. I'm talking, I found underground storage tanks of, um, you know, of fuel. At the same time, you know, there was a ravine. It backed onto a ravine. And that ravine went down to a little stream. And the Conservation Authority were very, really upset that this property could be polluting that ravine going down to that stream. So I had the Conservation Authority. I was right beside CN Rail. I have a railroad. I couldn't expand the property the way I wanted to because there were certain issues because I was right by a railroad. And remember, railroads also sometimes they they spill. They spill. So there's environmental there. And again, you have to be so far away from them. I was on the other side of a highway. So now I had the Ministry of Transportation. They would have to okay anything that I did. And then I was on a regional road. So now I'm dealing with the region, not the city. Regional road, that's a secondary government dealing with ministry of transportation, dealing with CN Rail, dealing with the Conservation Authority, dealing with pollution. And it was just at the end of the city. So I wasn't getting the business that I wanted because I saw it as, hey, I'm going to control the gate of the city. This is the first business going into the city. So I saw it as the gate. Everyone saw it as the butt. Big difference. (laughs) (laughs) So it's all about how you see something. And I was seeing things with rosy eyes. Right. And I'm saying to myself, seven years later, how the hell did I end up having to deal with the CN rail, having to deal with the conservation authority, having to deal with the Highway Act, having to deal with a regional road, having to deal with pollution? having to deal with, I'm at the end of the city that nobody enters. And I'm sitting there thinking, how did I do this? You know, And obviously, I, I've come to some realizations.
1: But before of- we get to those what realizations, happened. maybe you yeah. can just explain, how did it end?
0: Okay, so about four years ago, the property had appraised out to about 2.1 million. So it went from the 680 up to the 2.1 million. And that's a good news because even when you make a mistake, Sometimes, most times in real estate, if enough time goes by, there is healing because the property did go up to about $2.1 million, right? You know, but the thing is, I wanted to develop the land to get that value. And in the end, the setbacks, meaning the setback from the ravine, instead of it being, let's say, 10 feet, was 15 meters. And the setback from the road, was about 10 meters. So I can build a new building. The problem is the building would be six feet wide. Right. Mm You know? So even though the appraiser appraised it for what it was, the true value to get it to its highest best use would be to, because it was two acres, would be to build on the unused land. And therefore, I couldn't build on that land. And in the end, that 2.1 ended up being about maybe 1.7, 1.8. So, I mean, yes, it sold, and that's great news. But again, there was a lot of pain along the way, a lot of lessons along the way.
1: And when you finally sold it, I mean, I guess for the buyer, it was de-risked.
0: Yes, I took care of pretty much all the risks, and the buyer knew what they were buying, and it just happened to be something that they required. And to them, $1.7 million was what they required it sort of, let's say, matched their needs, not 2.1. Right.
1: You no. Know, and when you, you yeah. add it all up, did you lose on the deal? Did you break even? How did it go? Well, the way
0: I figure it, you know, my seven-year VTB, because I couldn't refinance out, that VTB went another five years. So the owners were kind enough to extend my VTB, saying they didn't know the land was polluted. <laughs> how could we know how could they know, and then finally he said, "Well, you know, buyer, beware, right in the end, I probably would have said out of my pocket to do everything clean everything fix everything, I'm probably one point four million dollars out of my pocket. I got one point seven, so yes, there is a profit I'll give them tell some right now. I own owner control over twenty seven buildings and I say owner control because I have j v partnerships where I don't have the properties in my name, but the JV agreement gives me control of the equity, the cash flow, and things like that, right? But of the 27, let's say multifamily or commercial buildings that I owned, I'm gonna tell you, I learned probably 85% of all that I know about commercial real estate from this one building. It's like having three kids and one bad kid, and you are not defined as a parent based on your two easiest children, define as a parent and how you handle that one rascal
1: yeah let's hope you get that bad one first in my family's case the bad one me came last so my parents had it easy with my sisters but when they got me oh my god they weren't prepared for what was coming so how would you describe the lessons that you learned from this particular experience
0: well okay lesson number one i realized what happened You know how we have peaks, right? We have peaks, mountaintops. When you have success, it's a mountaintop. Then you have the valley in between to the next peak. I went from residential peak thinking I could just jump across to the next peak. Success in residential, and I had a lot of properties, meant I I would still be on the top of the mountain of commercial. And I didn't realize it was a valley. So therefore, I dropped down in the valley for a number of years to actually learn how to do commercial correctly. I didn't have a mentor. I didn't have a coaching program. I didn't have a community to work with. So therefore, I was pretty much on my own. And at the same time, I had to do a minor adjustment of my, my ego and my humility. I needed to rebalance my ego, rebalance my humility a little bit, right? Yeah, it sounds you know, like the market
1: so, kind of did that for you.
0: yes. Yes. <laughs> So so ultimately, I mean, I got to tell you, I learned every aspect of cleaning up property. When you spend over $400,000 to clean property, you actually learn everything because everything that could go wrong went wrong. I've actually made and saved money because of that. So I mean, I've built 113 house subdivision. My knowledge and the strength that I had to survive this calamity helped me to face tougher problems in the future. And things that would cause someone to cry or break, I didn't break because this was pretty tough, right? Number one. Number two, I found that no matter what I did with this property, I was always losing money. I had a tent that came in and they tend to not pay the rent on time. They did a, a huge series of things, even though it was commercial, they did a huge series of things that you know I pretty much picked the person who was going at a different speed. So I met somebody when I was relaxed and they were actually on the top of the hill, meaning they were working at full speed and I brought this company in and when I went up to full speed, I realized that my full speed was way faster than their full speed and we couldn't work together. I know it's kind of weird, but you know what? When you meet people and you want to partner with them, make sure that you're actually at the same speed when you actually decide to partner because I was just Coasting, I didn't realize he was at his top speed. When I got up to my top speed, well, I was way too fast. And that created a lot of problems. And I had to deal with that. So that was a a bit of an issue there that I had to go through with. Another thing too is, and this is weird, I remember a lady drove by and she was crying. She came to, you know, she says, are you the owner? I go, I'm the owner. She goes, this building is making me cry. Now, obviously, I have my beliefs, but I'm not into too much hocus pocus stuff, you know, but I, you know, I'm a man of faith. I have my beliefs. But she goes, to, I'm crying. I'm feeling so much pain, so much pain, right? Now, remember, this is like 10 or 12 years into this thing. I go, lady. You said, lady,
1: you imagine the pain I'm feeling. Yeah,
0: yeah. I go, lady, you're feeling my pain. She goes, no, no, this is a deep pain. It's an old pain. I go, what do you mean old pain? She goes, it's been a pain on this land for seemed like a couple hundred years. I'm thinking, you feel pain? She goes, yeah, it's deep, very deep. So she took something out of her car and she lit it on fire and she smushed the place. I think she called it smushing, smooshing or something. I let her do it anyway. But the fact is, it occurred to me that I'm not just dealing with the math here. I'm not just dealing with the situation. I'm not just dealing with my stupidity. You know, I'm dealing with something a little bit bigger or stranger than I had ever seen before. So, some of your listeners are thinking he's nuts. Well, guess what? I have a computer systems background. I'm a soldier. You know, I'm very technical, but everything that can go wrong, even out of my control, just kept going wrong. And when she told me the building is suffering, it's tortured, I'm like, you know what? it's time to give up this fight. <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to surrender, put my hands up, because the bottom line was, I didn't want this building to beat me. Yeah. I'm like, there's no way in hell this building is beating me. I'm getting stronger, smarter, faster, more educated, and I'm still getting clocked. So it was like, I'm nothing. going to beat me. But then I realized, you know what? I'm dealing with something outside of all my stupidity. I'm dealing with some powers here. And I just thought, okay, I'm going to sell it. And yeah, yeah,
1: I sold it. <laughs> wow. Wow! When you put it on the market, how long did it take before you sold it? About two years.
0: Okay. Let's because every, every person that came to it found a reason why they wouldn't buy it. Yeah. So ultimately, deals kept falling through. I had about maybe six deals fall through before it finally sold. And in fact... I had a guy who did assignment of contract, who did wholesaling. So he found the person to buy it. You know, I made sure I provided all the information. And even I told the, the buyer, you know what? I think there's uh, some weird stuff going on with this property. And he's like, well, I don't believe in that stuff. I go, okay, just want you to know. I told you. Because I don't think I would feel good. And, you know, sometimes the richer somebody gets, sometimes they don't care about the other person. They just don't care. It's like, I want to make money. I don't care about the other person. Well, I care. And I didn't want to leave somebody behind. So I made sure I said to the guy, here are all my problems. Here's all the things that I fixed. And here's the issue that I couldn't beat this thing. And he says, you know what? I can beat it. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. So yeah. he actually took on my, my, you know, white whale, right? You yeah. know, he became Captain Ahab. Yep. And you know what? He renovated the place beautifully. He has a beautiful store there and nobody comes in and buys his furniture.
1: Interesting. Well, let me share. I've written down a lot of things as you were talking right. and I want to share some of them. First one, I want to share a story about a friend of mine, Pat, and Pat basically was a client and, I was working with him to value his business and then help him sell that business. And we did eventually sell the business to Microsoft, which was a really exciting time and deal. But Pat was an interesting guy because when I started working with him, he would start yelling at me at times, Yeah, which was very strange because, you know, I mean, people don't usually yell at me. And I couldn't really figure it out until I started observing and I started realizing that you know, part of it was that he was kind of testing me and testing a lot of things. But eventually I had to tell him, and I, I remember sitting down with him, and I said, look, if I bring you ideas that you already know, I'm no value to you. All right. And if I bring you advice that you agree with, I'm no value to you. So the only time that I am valuable to you is – when I'm bringing you an idea that you are not familiar with or you disagree with. Now, that right. idea may be right or wrong, but the value comes in me telling you directly what my idea is about this particular thing. And that's when I really realized the value of a consultant and advisor. And I remember that I, I have had, a, recently I had a client, and they just really, really wanted me to say what they wanted me to say. Yeah. And it just gave them much more comfort. And in the end, I ended the contract because it's not where I add the value. It's, you know, advising is not a love fest. And so it just made me think about your lawyer that you said, said, hey, wait a minute about this. And then, you know, oh, no, I got a reason why or maybe an argument to that in, in this case with Pat. So that's the first thing. The second thing I was thinking about is like from a perspective of doing any deal, you know, I was thinking that, you know, there's some requirements for full disclosure. There's some fraud or deceit that could happen in a deal. And that's the importance of due diligence. And due diligence is a process. And here they got you to skip one part of that process for what, Seemed like a very beneficial part of the deal, but it reminded me, and exactly. I wrote down, "There is no free lunch. Everything exactly. has a cost. Everything." I I love what Thomas Sowell says, which is, "There are no solutions, only trade offs." And then then you mentioned about peak versus valley, and I was thinking about you know, when we think about when we think about peaks, we think about the positive things, and like this is this is the, the solution, the answer. But actually it's the opposite. The solution and the answer come in the valley. The valley exactly. is the time of yes. correction. Yes. And part of the one big problem in America, I believe now with the Fed and the government is that basically people don't want to go, if they have any governmental tool that can prevent the economy and businesses and everybody from going through the valley, they're going to do everything they can. But from a learning systems perspective, we need valleys. So one of the things that you reminded me of was my ex-girlfriend, and it's part of the reason why I'm, not, why I'm still single right now, is because it was a really painful breakup. But the point is, in a painful relationship, she was actually in her first relationship. She was, had not had in a relationship, which I thought was a little bit odd. And I also thought it was a little bit odd that I didn't hear much about her parents, And then one day when we were dating, her father came to Bangkok. He was normally up up country and they didn't meet. And I just thought that was weird, but I didn't put it all together. But in the end, it was a very painful relationship. And what happened was she did eventually, while we were in the relationship, start to get some therapy. And she really made some major breakthroughs and she could see there was abandonment issues. And by having her first relationship, that all came out. And she really became a changed woman. But we were both so exhausted that we ended up breaking up. And she went to her next relationship. And the immediate next relationship, she said, I talked to her by phone, and she said, you know what I realized is I still brought all those issues to this relationship. She broke up with that guy. She worked on herself. And the next guy that she was with, she was like, they've built an amazing relationship, and she's dealt with all that. And I always ask myself, like, why is it that, that that went through my life? You know, that whole experience for her, I I really couldn't always see it. But in some ways, when I think about your building, I think about the idea that that went through your life and what you sold to the next person. Yeah, it may have had some issues, but it didn't have all of those issues.
0: And, you know, now that you say that, yes, that building was a bad relationship. (laughs) It didn't love me back. I loved it but it didn't love me back. And in the end, it gave me the boot. So yeah, you know what? Not quite the same as yours, but now, now I'm seeing it.
1: You're helping me heal. There you I'm go. So, I'm healing now. That's good. I feel good. Just think about <laughs> the the next, the buyer and how much trouble you've saved them from. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes, yes. healing, the healing. The healing. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, huh? Now, another thing I wrote down, I said, you know, and you started making me think about you know, the history of this land, the history of this building. And, and then I just started thinking, yeah, you know, in fact, when we're dealing with people too, we're dealing with a collection of history, a family history, a collection of values, a collection of things that have been passed down over generations. So for the listeners and the viewers out there, look beyond just the surface. And then I wrote down surrender to win and one of the things I think that we learn as we get older is that there are some fights that we do not need to be in. Fight. And knowing the fights to walk away from is, you know, very critical. In Thailand, when I, when I was younger, I used to go out at night to bars and stuff, although I don't drink. You know, I enjoyed that and I was out with friends. But as soon as anything happened in a bar or in, a, you know, a place – the first thing I'm out, I'm out the back door. Yeah. I'm out because, you know, anything can happen. And so I'm happy to just say, Oh, I'm out. And the last thing I just wrote down is that eventually you can win. Yes. You know, and that's, this is actually a story that you stuck with it. You kept dealing with the things that came to you, but eventually you won. Now you won through what you learned. You won through, you know, getting a sold, but there's a lot of things I take away from anything that you would add,
0: yeah, and you know it really made me strong enough to deal with some of the bigger properties that I had to buy later on. you know it it meant that I had to balance myself even when I felt as though I was being attacked from seven sides, and yes, I may have initiated those attacks on myself, but the fact is, I was able to still sleep easy in the storm later on when I started buying more buildings and doing Better, my success in those areas came from the strength that I could actually sleep in the midst of this thunder in the midst of the storm. You know the water's rising, but I was still okay about it because I was challenged so hard, and I put a lot of physical energy into this as well. It wasn't just a mental thing I literally to save money, I literally did a lot of physical work on the property, but I really cut my teeth on it, and I learned a lot so in the end, it was. A very big mistake. The good news is, all the things that you mentioned, I actually learned. And then on top of it all, it gave me the strength to be able to weather the storm for other things that I had to look at. And also, I learned a bit of humility because sometimes when you're just everything you touch turns to gold, space shuttle flew 25 times, then the rocket booster blew up. Now, sometimes if you're just doing things that's always working, it doesn't mean everything you've, you're doing is correct. And this sort of taught me that lesson. I had to double check.
1: So based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action, you know, let's go back to yourself as you approach that land. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Well,
0: I should have listened to my lawyer. I should have done a phase one environmental, which is required by the bank anyway. And it was more that somebody had told me about a phase one. They said it was going to cost about $2,000 and I didn't want to pay it. I just thought, you know, I just paid for a storm water management assessment and I have to create a swale, which is something that has to do with water, redirecting water. And I was upset paying that. And it was slowing me down. It was slowing me down. And I wanted to rush the deal because I didn't want to lose this great opportunity. I should have taken off the glasses and realized this place is a war zone. No one's going to buy it. I was just excited about it. And you know, I, I really learned how not to be excited about property, so care, but not that much. And remember, these are cows, they're farm animals that you care for, but don't fall in love with the farm animals, right? <laughs> so I would say that's pretty much what uh,
1: yep. you know, yep. I learned. So, you know, so. what is a, a resource of yours that you'd recommend for our listeners?
0: Well, I mean, ultimately, I tend to spend time, you know, looking at my own life and trying to spot lessons. So first and foremost, books are great. You know, joining communities are great. Getting a membership. You have a membership that I'm going to sign up for. I think that's that's a fantastic membership. So it's good to do things like that. But at the same time, you sit back and think, what's one lesson I learned in my first sport or my, my first job or... And if you lay out about 15 or 20 or 30 lessons in your life, and then you really ponder and think about those lessons, I think really, if you can break them down into a three-minute story, you can pretty much use them to help convince others to invest with you. If it's a bad news thing, I always have a redemption. So even with this situation, sure, it was terrible. But guess what? I learned how to evaluate property. I learned how to clean property, and I learned how to... Proper financing. I learned a lot from it. So, bad news always with redemption. So, I think a good resource is even within yourself. Try to look at why you do what you do and document it for yourself and for your kids. Great.
1: All right. Last question What is your number one goal for the next 12 months?
0: Well, so now technically I'm semi retired. And, you know, I'm moving from, I will say this to you, you know, I grew up as an immigrant in Canada, I came from Trinidad and Tobago. Back in the 70s, being a different color, it wasn't the easiest thing. And you know, everybody has their own issues. It doesn't matter about color. You could be too tall, too short, whatever. The fact is, people didn't think I would succeed. So I used that as a fuel by the time I was 24 to 34. But by that time, feeling like a second-class citizen, I didn't anymore. That fuel burnt up. Then I had to find another fuel. So then all of a sudden, I thought, I want nice things. So I started buying nice things and I wanted to have a nice house and just different things. And from 34 to about 44, that was great. But you know, you you buy a very expensive car and hey, guess what? You want the next model. So after a while, that fuel burnt up. Then my daughter came along when I was 44. So she's like 15 now, right? You know, so from 44 to 54, it was really, I just want to be a better man for my little girl. I want to provide a great world for her. And now things are going pretty good with her. That fuel was burnt up. I'll always be there, a the provider. Now I'm looking for something external outside of me. So I'm, I'm looking more for community. So I, over the next 12 months, I'm going to focus on water, bringing water to North America, using water for some purpose. I don't know what it is yet, but the beauty is I will walk the walk to understand what water and I have to do. But the important part is people think sometimes one, one goal will get you there. You know, like people always talk about, you know, what's your why? Well, your why is going to the moon. And maybe real estate might be your vehicle. But what the hell is your fuel? I had to change my fuel three times. Right? So ultimately, something to do with water. I'm not sure what it is. I just know it's water. And I'm looking forward to learning what it's going to be. That's going to be my fuel for the next 10 years.
1: (laughs) And drink it up. Exactly. drink it up. Well, Listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. If you haven't joined the Become a Better Investor community, just go to myworstinvestmentever.com right now to claim your 50% lifetime discount exclusive for podcast listeners. As we conclude, Matthew, I want to thank you again for joining our mission a second time and sharing your knowledge. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status a second time for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience?
0: Well, I think this is your 600th episode. Yep. So I am honored, humbled to have you accept me as that person on this episode. I think it'll make a difference for folks out there.
1: Fantastic. We appreciate it. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our, well, fellow risk takers. Let's celebrate that today we added one more story to our mission to help one million people reduce risk in their lives. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying I'll see you on The Upside.